What we're going to be looking at over the next couple of minutes is I wanted to give some financial feedback, just a little, some thoughts regarding finances, which is, by the way, a big part of worship, not just something that we have to do as a church. It's actually a moment of an important part of, of worship and always has been from, from the beginning of, of um, God's recorded history and dealings with his people. And uh, so I wanted to, to kind of give a, maybe, I don't know if feedback is the right word, but, but just some thoughts that I have because it's been a few months since we kind of touched on that subject, but I, I didn't want to do a, a message on it, but it just so happens that what I had in my heart to, to say regarding the finances dovetailed so perfectly with uh, what we were going to be sharing with regards to Jesus um, today. So we've been looking, as many of you would know, uh, at Jesus uh, and what he did as a way of looking into who he is. Because as you would agree, if you want to know who a person is, you really look at what they do more so than what they say. And so we're looking at what he did. And one of the things that he did slash really more uh, 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 accurately would be he, what he is doing is building the church. He is a builder of the church. And so uh, we're going to look at that today, Uh, just scratch the surface, but it's going to be something that is big picture, and I'm trusting that as you listen to this, you will be able to gain personal application of what this may mean to you. So we're going to be talking a bit kind of up here, and I'm trusting that as we hear it, God speaks you are able to apply it personally. But let's just quickly on finances, you may remember Several months ago, I think it was February, we began to talk just kind of in the course of the church plant. Uh, at the time when we separated support that was coming from outside of the church and looked at the recurring giving from within the church, it was about 30% of the church's budget. And um, since then, we have had a couple other churches who partner with us come along board and they've, they've uh, committed to each to six months worth of giving. Uh, both of which kind of comes to a conclusion during the month of October. But uh, this past month, one of those churches has said they want to, they prayed as an eldership. Uh, we didn't even say anything to them. They just came to us and said that as an eldership team, we've prayed and we want to extend it to it for another six months. And then there was another kind of partner entity uh, who uh, gave a very large lump sum of, of money that has a, played a huge role in subsidizing the last number of months. Um, and uh, giving has essentially gone up even within the church, and that's the key. Is Now, I'm, I'm not just speaking theologically now, I'm speaking very practically. The key, ultimately, with any church is, is sustainability. A church needs to be able to finance itself. You know why? Because a church um, is ultimately called not only to, to minister in its own locale, but be a base of resource into something beyond itself. And so before you can even do that, even though we're already doing that, by the way, 10% of everything that comes into the church is going to somewhere outside of the church as it is. And the reason why is because we believe in the principle of beginning as you want to end. We're not going to wait until we have enough to start giving. We give even now, before we have enough. And so, uh, so that's been really cool to see. We've seen uh, together with some partnership, um, the, the um, kind of percentage of the budget going up to about 70% being met and um, of the ideal, you know, budget of what we would want at this phase of the church. So those things have, have been encouraging, um, although August did, you know, see a little bit of a drop. I'm not sure what happens in the summer. I don't know what it is, but uh, there was kind of a drop down to about 63% uh, in the month of August. But over the past four months, because now we're at a place where we can begin to see four-month um, running averages, we saw 70%, and can I say 70% of the budget being met, and can I say that, the, and so, you know, we don't get up and talk every week about these things, but behind the scenes, there have been the most amazing, out of nowhere, people that you would have never even thought of who have just felt impressed to give into the church in the most amazing ways to where we walk through this situation saying, God, you are amazing. I mean, this makes zero sense how this thing is, is happening. And I, I don't want to say that to put you off, I hope, 
to make, I mean, we get so faith that you think, oh my gosh, these guys are wackos. But let me say something. Sometimes following Jesus leads you into places where you depend on nothing but him. And uh, that's not a bad, a bad thing. And so we have been amazed and our faith, I think, has been built watching God provide unbelievably um, uh, to where we know he is in this, without a doubt. So, but this is what I want to say, and this is going to weave into this thing of Jesus being a builder. Tithing is worship. And from the beginning, tithing has always been a critical way that we worship. So can I say this? Tithing or our money is as spiritual as anything else in our lives. Uh, Prayer is no more spiritual than money and how we use it. It is as much an act of worship and yielding our hearts to God. In fact, I don't believe, I can't even reconcile how one can yield their heart to God and yet that not impact upon money. Money, can I... I mean, can we be real? Money is a big part of our lives, correct? And, um, and God has always used it as a critical way that we worship him in partnering together with him with what he's doing in the earth. And what he's always been doing in the earth is building a dwelling place in which he himself dwells in the earth. And I hope we can catch that. In fact, I would go is so much to say that if you take a bird's eye perspective of the Old Testament, in other words, don't miss the forest for the trees uh, in getting into this book and this circumstance and Abraham, and, and, but you take a step back and look at really what the whole thing is about. It's about God establishing in the earth a people and that people having a culture and society built around his presence a place where his presence dwells in the earth. And this whole society and culture is built around worshiping God and seeing that his presence is established in the earth. Making sense? And so uh, that correlates over into uh, the New Testament. And if you'll look with me, and we'll get there, but Malachi chapter 3, let's let's kind of justify or, or build upon what I'm saying here. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, many of you have heard this reference. It says, bring all the tithe. Tithe uh, is a word that simply means tenth. And if you don't know, there was the practice instituted by God in the Old Testament where people gave a tenth of all that they received, what we would call income. For them, it was a harvest because it was an agricultural society. The first tenth of all that they received before they did anything else with it, before they ate them for themselves, before they used it for trade, perhaps, before they did anything else, it would go into the work of the Lord, go to the temple, in, in, in effect. Bring all the tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in what? My house. His temple, the place where God dwells on the earth. That there may be food. That's the issue of the tithe, is that his house would have what it needs. Because the priority is God's presence dwelling here in the earth. Now, we're going to get to how this applies to you, because right now, you're probably thinking, oh, he's talking about money so that there can be a church building, and, you know, and God's presence is there on Sunday mornings, and that's, no, you and I today are the temple of the Lord. And this thing that God is building is you and me, not this building. He's building people. And this thing that he's called us to do requires money by his design because it's a part of worshiping him and partnering together in what he's doing in the earth. And let it be known, you and I are this dwelling place through which God wants to minister and and reveal himself to the culture around us. So let's continue reading. And test me now in this, says Jehovah of hosts, or the Lord of hosts, to see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour out a blessing for you until there is not enough room. So that's the only place, by the way, where God actually tells us, go ahead and test him. There's no other place where he says, in fact, elsewhere it's kind of implied that it's evil to test him. This is the only place where he says, test me in this. You give a tenth of your increase into what I'm doing, you watch You may think in your spreadsheet that that makes no sense. You just watch. I will supply for your needs as you're looking after my house. I'll look after yours, is what he's saying. So the central theme of Scripture 
I hope you can catch this. We're not talking about a theme. This is a central theme of Scripture. And uh, we don't have time to get into it now, but you, you, you even take the life of David. And I've, I've studied at length the life of David. And you go back before David, there was um, Saul. And before Saul, there was the prophet Samuel. And the whole context of David's life is this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant representing the presence of God on the earth. David's life fit in the context of the Ark of the Covenant being established in the earth in its rightful place called the city of Jerusalem so that there would be a place where God dwelled in the earth where from which his law and his truth would go out as a beacon of light to the rest of the Gentile world. That was always the purpose of God. And all of that, my friends, was a type and a shadow, a foreshadowing using a physical building, using a physical city to look to what would be fulfilled through the church in the new covenant as a spiritual an entity, or in other words, we become the temple because we have the Spirit of God dwelling inside of us, and as we fit together like stones, the Bible says, piece, piece together as a temple, He dwells in our midst. And that's what God is actually building. Am I making sense? I hope I am. So in, in the Old Testament, you had Moses. Moses uh, led the children of Israel out of Egypt. They wandered in a desert. Most of us would be familiar with that story. They couldn't build a temple because they were uh, going somewhere, but in that wandering in the desert, they had this thing called the tent of meeting. And in that place was a place where God was dwelling and the Ark of the Covenant was stored. And then when they came into their promised land, the, the, the whole building up, the climax, the, the crescendo of that whole story of the people finally entering their promised land, driving out the inhabitants, establishing it for themselves, was the building of a temple in the city of Jerusalem and that the Ark of the Covenant the presence of God finally had its place in the earth. And, uh, and then I've been studying uh, Nehemiah because as many of you would, would know, the people of God, they eventually began to forsake God and they, and they got um, uh, comfortable and they stopped feeling the need for God. And anybody ever done that before? And stopped feeling the need for God, stopped seeking him. And as they stopped seeking him, they began to walk away from his commandments, walk away from his statutes, as the scripture said. And ultimately, they came into a place of actually worshiping other gods. And they wound up in exile, being taken exile into Babylon. And the city of Jerusalem, this precious place where God's presence was dwelling, was laid waste. The walls were broken, the gates were broken, and then God raises up this man named Nehemiah 70 years later to, well, actually a whole process, Ezra came first, and then Nehemiah comes 70 years later, and he surveys the, the, what is God's city, where God is supposed to dwell and show himself to the rest of the world, and he sees this place a destruction, and he falls on his face, weeping. This is, is, is a terrible situation, and uh, in that uh, if you know the story, God raised up Nehemiah to call the people back to Israel, back to the city of Jerusalem, to begin building the walls back, restoring the gates. Anybody ever heard the story? And, um, and when they restore the, the walls, the gates, the temple is rebuilt, they begin to, and, and, and the whole idea is restoring the city where God's worship would manifest in the earth and his presence would be there and he would be God to a people. And one of the things that they began to reinstitute is this issue of the tithe. And in fact, they made a covenant, an agreement as a nation to say from here on, to make sure this temple never gets laid waste again, to make sure it's never uh, forsaken and, and that God is honored in this temple being looked after, we're going to make a covenant to make sure that we give the tithe. Let me read it from you, to, for you now. Nehemiah chapter 10, if you want to turn there. Uh, it says, In view of all of this, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seals to it. We also assume, in verse 35, responsibility for bringing to the house of the Lord each year the first fruits of our crops and every fruit tree. First fruits was the tithe. It was the, off the first of the harvest, uh, going back into the work of the Lord. Verse 36, as it is written in the law, 
We will bring the firstborn of all of, of our sons and our cattle, of our herds and of our flocks to the house of our God, to the priests ministering there. Moreover, we will bring the storerooms to the storerooms of the house of our God to the priests, the first of all of our ground meal, of our grain offerings, of the fruit of all the trees, our trees, and our new wine and olive oil, and we will bring a tithe of our crops to the Levites, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all the towns where we work. A priest descended from Aaron is to accompany the Levites when they receive the tithes, and the Levites are to bring a tenth of the tithes up to the house of our God to the storerooms of the treasury. The people of Israel, including the Levites, are to bring their contributions of grain, new wine, and olive oil to the storerooms, where the articles of the sanctuary and for the ministering of priests, the gatekeepers, and the musicians are also kept. We will not neglect the house of our God. And that's, that's, that is the key of this picture, this history of God's temple where he dwells being the high priority of God, being the high priority of the people of God. And I want to say to us, that is what Jesus is building. Not a temple made with hands. He is building people in whom, through his spirit, he dwells. And I, want to, I hope that we can make that so abundantly clear what we exist for as a church is to grow up as a local church into an expression, a source where God's presence would move through us, where he would be seen through our corporate culture, if I can say it that way. Where God wants to manifest and each of us have a place to play in this. And so if you look with me to Ephesians 2, verse 19, because I want to establish how I have the right to say that all of this stuff that we've been talking about, this physical temple, correlates to the church today. This is a great statement that Paul makes in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Listen closely, please. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also the members of his household. What's Paul talking about? He's talking to a bunch of people who are Gentiles. In other words, they're not Jews. They don't have, by virtue of their birth, a covenant with God. And he's telling them, you're not outside of that covenant. You're not a stranger. You're a fellow citizen with God's people. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Now he's talking about like some building structure, but he's saying that you are the building. With Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. He's using architecture language now. Being built, cornerstone. Listen to this, verse 21. In him, Christ, the whole building is joined together and rises, listen to this, to become a holy temple in the Lord. Who is he talking about? Look at, back at the verse 19. Consequently, you. Who is you? Us. You are a holy temple in the Lord, and in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. See, we tend to think of Christianity and church as just like this religion thing, and we receive Jesus so that maybe we can go to heaven when we die, and until then we kind of do this thing called Sunday for us afternoon. I don't know, we're a little strange. And, uh, and, and, we, and we go, and, and you know, like church, what that is, is, you know, you've got a, somebody, some songs at the beginning, and maybe there'll be some prayers, perhaps there'll be announcements, and they'll pass some basket around, and then some guy will get up and preach, and that's church, right? You know, and it's got this little, like, segment in my life. I, on Sunday, I go to church, and then occasionally, you know, we do something with all worthy of love, and we reach out to some, some sex, victims of sex trafficking, and we do some good things to prove that we are God, godly people, and, and that's church, right? And, the, and what, G, what Paul is saying here is that you are, as the church, far transcend any meeting. In fact, the meeting is simply for the purpose of serving the ultimate purpose of the church, the people, the community becoming a dwelling in which God dwells. Can we erase all the ideas of what we think church is supposed to be and replace it with that from a, from a biblical standpoint so that we shoot at the same target? We want God to, we want to be with him and for him to flow through us and dwell through us. And that is not something that I can do. This isn't like a, 
you know, let's all go off our own separate ways and, and we can all just kind of have a prayer life with God and we can manifest God. No, I need Michael to, to be, and I need what God has given him uniquely. And I need Dave, I need Mickey, I need Minda. And you need one another. That's, that, that is how this thing gets built, is each of us doing a share, which will never happen in this context. This is an important, what I'm doing right now in unveiling the word of God is important for us we will never fulfill our call in this context. This is done in the context of relationship, in community, and through relationship with people in, outside of the church and through relationship with one another. That's how this thing happens, knit together. So let's, let's, uh, let's dive into this. What is, I just want to say three things and then, and then we're done. What is the church that Jesus is building. So I mentioned last week, which seems like it was two weeks ago. I guess that U2 concert was that good. Um, I mentioned that Minda and I, uh, especially, have been in a place and are in, in, a, in, a, in a moment right now, and what I feel is an exciting and vulnerable and exhilarating and scary moment of saying, actually, you know what, let's not just repeat the default what church needs to look like and, um, and have church services and say we've planted a church. Let's actually like let God wipe the slate clean and say, God, how do we build the things that are most important to you in this context, in this generation, in this particular city with the group that we have right now in a way that makes sense and is most effective. But let's not just do church services the way we've all always done them or whatever. Let's, let's allow you, because there is a bit of a rumbling, I feel, where we're like, we're doing this, but it's not, it, there's more. There's, there, there's, there's more. And, uh, and so we're asking these questions, and I feel like God's beginning to clarify some things, and I'm excited in the days to come for you guys to be a part of, for all of us to be a part of a journey of allowing God to, to walk us into a way that we actually fulfill what we're called to do and not just have church services for the sake of having church services. Not that that's what we're doing entirely, but am I making sense? <laughs> um, so that's kind of where we are. And I'll just say this to preface the things that we're talking about. Here are three things that we, we know are the church that Jesus is building. This is not an exhaustive list. These are three things that I, I would just like to share this afternoon. Uh, let's look at Matthew chapter 13, verse 17, as a way to establish that Jesus is who we say he is, being the builder of the church. Many of you would know the story. Disciples are hanging out with Jesus. They're going through a place of Caesarea Philippi, called Caesarea Philippi, and Jesus asks them this question. And oftentimes when Jesus asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer and he's hoping you do. He is after something in you. And he asks his disciples the question, who do people out there, what's, the, what's blowing in the wind lately, what's, what's, what's on CNN, who do people say that I am? And they're like, well, some say John the Baptist or Elijah or Isaiah or one of the prophets. And he goes, okay, cool. Well done, you've, uh, you've been listening to uh, CNN and uh, you've got the, the, latest, the latest updates. Let me ask you boys, who do you say I am? And then Peter stands up and says something that we just read over, just like one of those weird scriptures that we have no idea what he's talking about. He says something that could have gotten you hung or stoned, and I don't mean pot. <laughs> it, could, it could have gotten you killed. For saying this, it was blasphemous. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That was blasphemy. And let me tell you something, Jews were not waiting for a human being to come and, and become a son and to represent himself as a son of God. The idea that God would have a son was heretical, a son, and that any man would be looked at as such. They were looking for a Messiah figure, a person sent by God, but not a son. And for him to say that, there was nothing that he would have known from his upbringing that would have pointed to the idea that God would send somebody as a son and blasphemous. And Jesus looks at him because he was getting at this. 
very thing that, Jesus, that Peter confessed. And he looks at him and says, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, flesh and blood. In other words, no person has revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I say to you, you are Peter. Up to that point, he was Simon, the son of John. You are Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will build my church. Who is Jesus? He is the builder of this thing called the temple of God, a dwelling place of God through you and me. Anyone who has called on his name and received him, received his spirit, becomes part of this church. That is why you and I are dwelling on this earth. Not our career, not our family. All of that fits into the context of what he is building, a dwelling place for God, fitted together. That's what we're here for. So first off, what is this church that he's building? It is a church that is built on this thing that Peter had, revelation. A phenomenon where no person could have shown you that. You have discovered spiritual truth that always existed in the realm of heaven and was concealed from this earth and somehow by the Spirit of God, the eyes of your heart have been opened to see something that always existed in God's sphere, but it was hidden from us. It's called re revelation. The same thing as if I were to cloak this thing with a curtain and you would see its form and its shape and you may be able to see if it were a white curtain through that it's black and you might even be able to tell what it is. But when I lift this up and reveal it, you would see it in actuality, in technicolor, so to speak. That's that's the idea. So what is revelation? It is an aha moment where the light goes off and it's more, excuse me, the light goes on. Sorry, Mind always gets on me for that. Wives. Where the light goes on and you see something, but it's not just like a discovery maybe in your biology class if you're in high school and like your teacher says it and you finally get it. It's similar to that but it's something deep in the recesses of your heart that's accompanied by a deep sense of rightness. That's what Peter had. To where he could get up and say in front of 11 of his uh, 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 colleagues something about Jesus that could have gotten him stoned. I have seen something. My friends, the church is built on that. And if we are to become what this, this church that... Uh, that Jesus speaks of, that means you and I need to desire and want and live a life where we are receiving that very thing from God. Revelation. Not the pastor's message. Not the blog that I, wrote, that I, that I read this week. Not the little uh, thing that Carrie Job says in between her songs as she's singing. If God wants to use those things, and he will... That's awesome, but he, let me tell you, God has no grandchildren. In other words, he wants you to know him yourself and to have revelation that you stand on, not because you heard it from another flesh and blood, so to speak, but because you know in your heart. So the church is built on revelation. And... Um, we are built into a dwelling place as we see Jesus. What did Peter actually see? He saw Jesus. That's what revelation is. So as an example, as my friend Tamora over here, uh, who testified with the help of her sister Minda, uh, as my friend Tamora, and I'm excited about the things in Tamora's life, as she sees Something of Jesus, if she, as she encounters what we're talking about, this thing of revelation, it, when you see revelation, you have the ability not only to believe something that would otherwise be very difficult to really believe, but to actually live in it as though it's reality, even though circumstances would tell you otherwise. And as she sees revelation and actually lives in that revelation, and takes, that's why I'm doing the steps, takes steps of faith based on that revelation, 
Her life begin, begins to be transformed. Her thoughts begin to become transformed. She starts thinking not like this world, but like God thinks. And as that process happens, she then has the ability to share what, that revelation with others in such a way that it impacts their heart. And that is the way that the church builds itself up. Not just the pastor again, you and I increasingly knowing Jesus to a point that we're able to share what he has given to us to free and build us with others. All of us are called to this. All of us are called to full-time ministry. Your vocation may be different, but full-time dwelling place of God through the Spirit. So what is church? I've got one definition here that I want to share. Church is a community of people, like we have in this room right now, who have seen Jesus. That's what makes one biblically a part of the church. You've seen Jesus. Not seen him with your eyes, you've seen him with the eyes of your heart. I became part of the church at the age of 17. I didn't know I wasn't part of the church. I was every Sunday a part of the church. I had no idea. Age of 17, my eyes were open. I saw Jesus. I saw, I understood who he really is, and I repented and gave my life to him and received him as who he is, my Lord, and, and, my, and, I re, and he came and dwelled inside of me. He changed me. His spirit became inside of me. Uh, and now I'm perfect, which is awesome. No, he, 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 you, you go on a journey with him of following him, and he matures you and grows you and stretches you and and, and all of that, but the point is, is that I became part of the church then. That's what the church is. Those who have seen and received Jesus, and can I say this, have made a decision to follow him. The simple as that. I see you for who you are. I put my life in your hands. I'm following you. That's all church is, is a community of people who are together following him, who we don't see, but he is real. And he is speaking to us, and he is leading us. That's what church is. Oh, I love it. I, I, I love, I love it. So we do it together. So what? I would say just a couple things. One is let's recognize our overwhelming need for revelation, our need to see Jesus. How does that happen? That can happen in moments like this where our eyes are opened. It can happen in... Uh, it should most importantly happen in your own relationship with him and you develop that doesn't have to look like it does with me you find out your groove with him because he's created you uniquely to have a special relationship with him Uh, but it can happen in times where we hang out together Uh, I'll get on that in just a minute Um, so look for it secondarily so that's the first thing this church what is this church it's built on revelation second is that it is built in such a way that every single person plays a role. Everybody has a role. In, in other words, in times past, it's kind of been that the idea of church is like God does stuff in our hearts, but really, church is like the paid staff of the church, and like they, they do the Monday through Friday, like they're doing church all week long. They're just like working in the church. All, they're like Aaron over there. He's just church, church, church. He's you know, that's like the church, and they, that's the minist- they're in the ministry. He's like really in the ministry. And, uh, and we go to church. And yeah, we're part of the church, and God wants to do stuff in our life, but, but you know, it's kind of like we're not, we're not in that echelon. Every single person is as called as anyone else. You and I are as called by God as Moses was, as the Apostle Paul was, just as called. And so let me just read a scripture that I think is so important. 1 Peter 2.5, you also, who is he talking to? There you go, us. You also, as living stones, it's an interesting thing to say, are built up a spiritual house. Remember what we were saying earlier about the temple of the Lord? Here's this fulfillment You and I are living stones being built into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So that's a powerful statement. Again, that can be something that we flip through in the scriptures and what he's even talking about where we're built up in a spiritual house and a holy priesthood. What he's saying is that no longer, catch this please, 
is there a distinction between the clergy and the laity? You all are the priests of God. That's what, that's what they're saying. Yes, there are some who are called to a full-time vocational thing. Ju- you're just as called as, as them. We are all priests. We're all in the full-time work of God's ministry. That's what Peter's saying there. But he's also saying that we're built into a, a spiritual house. We're living stones. And that means that in the same way that the temple was built with stones that were hewn out to look very nice and pretty and maybe marbly, I don't know. Some of these art students could probably speak into that. Who knows? Uh, but they were hewn big stones and fitted together, and, and the people of Israel had a picture of that temple in Jerusalem because every year they went to go visit it, um, and they, they had seen it, and, and what Peter is saying is that was a picture of what you and I are to become, just like those stones had to be fitted together to build this house, and God would dwell in that. You and I are fitted together. So that as we connect and find our roles with one another and and live in love with one another and give and receive from one another, we become built up and God dwells through us. Am I making sense? So if you don't believe me, how does that happen? Ephesians 4, 15 says the same thing here, except we're not talking about a building in this context. We're talking about growing up as as an image of Christ. Ephesians 4, 15 says, instead... Speaking the truth in love, this is how we build each other up. Um, How many of you know how to speak the truth? How many of you know how to speak the truth in love? (laughs) It is important to make sure that when we're speaking truth that it's in love, but this is how we do what we do. We speak the truth in love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him, Jesus, who is the head, that is Christ, From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up. Not just Pastor Paul, if you want to call me that. Uh, All of us speaking the truth in love and finding out what our part is, what our call is, what our special and unique gifts are, and supplying that. And can I say on that note, as awesome as it is that we've got some people in this room who put up signs and we've got people who give coffee, and we've got people who play guitar, and we've got all this stuff, that might not be the fulfillment of what Jesus is talking about there. Your gift, do you know what it's defined by? Your revelation. What you have seen of Jesus, that is the kingdom that comes into your heart. That's the kingdom coming through you into the earth as it is in heaven. It's your revelation. Not just what you're good at. I've always been good at baseball, so maybe I can start up a baseball church league and we can minister to people through our... Um, God can do that or whatever. That's cool. God might even call you to that. I'm not trying to be bad. Stop that. But I'm, but I'm saying this is actually stemming from a, a, a supernatural a, a, a relationship with God in which he is revealing himself. And by the way, sometimes when he reveals himself, just to set you at ease, sometimes it can be very subtle. It doesn't have to be this like amazing thing. I've had God almost seem like he whispers, just a little thing. And then later on in the day, I realize, oh my gosh, that is so relevant. Thank you, Lord, for saying that, for showing that to me earlier in the day. So don't think that it has to be some huge thing every time. Thirdly, and lastly, is church, so, so we said it's built on revelation. We said everybody is in full-time ministry. Everybody plays a role. And thirdly, community is at the core. It undergirds it. So in times past, we have become so good in church at having awesome church services. And we know how to, like, get the smoke. You know what I mean? Like the smoke machines. And we've got, like, lights and we've got like the guitar hitting that right note. And, uh, and we know how to get up and do the announcements in 58 seconds. And not a second more. Because after that, there's going to, you, you know what I'm saying? We've got, we've got the service down. And I think there's a place for having like well done services. I'm not downing that. But if that is our experience with church, that we've so wandered from the, where church started in the life of Jesus. Can I read a scripture to you? Can you read along with me? Mark chapter 3, verse 14. 
We're almost done, just in case you are wondering. Uh, it says this, that he appointed 12, speaking of Jesus, listen to this, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. We think of Jesus calling the 12 so that they can go preach. And doubtless that was important. But before that, he called them that he might be with them. And the church, my friends, was first formed and started in the context of real life relationship. This right here is not real life relationship. It's important, but I don't get to know you in this context. The, the questions that you have about scripture, the doubts and the unbelief that I have in my heart, we don't get to talk about that. You don't get to help me with that in this context. Am I making sense? That happens in real life. And when Jesus walked with the 12, they had to go to the bathroom. And one of them might have, you know, eaten something that did them wrong. And one of them may have had bad breath and another stinky feet. And another may have had an irritating idiosyncrasy that drove them all nuts. You see what I'm saying? Like, real life not super spiritual and stained glass window, like real humanity. That's what church is. And that's where it started. And one of the things that we feel we've got to get back to, even in this particular church, is that community, real life sharing, undergirds everything that we're doing. And so uh, to that note, I would just like to kind of point out that the Opals, Kurt, put your hand up over there, Kurt, the Opals have been hosting a, uh, a group on a weekly basis for the past how many weeks? Yeah, I'm going to say at least eight weeks. And um, just meeting at their house 7 to 8.30 on a, on a Wednesday night and getting into discussion about some of the stuff that I'm talking, kind of, you know, about real stuff and and stuff of scripture, and building relationship and friendship. And we had a kebab dinner uh, this past week. And, I, and, 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 and when I left, I noted that, that familiar sense of what I call afterglow. Do you know what I mean by that? Where something, granted, some of it was the hummus and the tzatziki sauce. That did play a role. That did play a significant role, I'll be honest. But there was like a sweetness of eight weeks of plowing into relationship on a weekly basis, spending time with one another, to where when we were there, there was such a genuine sense of community and love and enjoying one another's company and just kind of spontaneous conversation and talking to Anna about things in her life and this person. And, and when we left, had that afterglow, that sense of, oh, I feel, I feel nourished. I feel like that was sweet. That's what we want. Not just sweet times all the time, but we want real relationship and community. That's where this stuff actually takes place. So what can, what can we say about this? I'll just say this. Uh, go on the journey. I'm making this appeal to everybody in the room and those who couldn't be here today. Go on the journey with us uh, in, in allowing community and the reality of what Jesus started to, again, undergird what it is that church is, real life. Prioritize not just ticking your Sunday box, but prioritize the getting together to share life and to allow one another into each other's lives. Can I also say, in this city of Detroit that has been so fragmented by race and by economic diversity and by political difference, what God wants to raise up our unity is unity in the midst of that fracture and brokenness. And can I make an appeal? Let's form community and boldly cross those bridges and get to know people who aren't like us and be willing to find the gold that is in them. Because I guarantee you that God will bring something of glory through a church of people who are humble enough to not have to be with people who are just like them. So... Um, Let's respond. Let's pray. I'd like to pray, and, um, and I'll just uh, share with you a, a story in light of how, you know, perhaps we can respond personally to this. 
But um, when I was in college, at the end of my freshman year, which was really my first year of being a part of a church community, there was this senior, and she was a wonderful African-American senior, she was kind of a student leader in the campus ministry, and her name was Dee Dee. And, um, you know, I instinctively kind of looked up to Dee Dee because sometimes Dee Dee would get up both in the campus ministry as well as in the big, the big church, the adult church that happened on Sunday. And she would have inspired messages that I later learned is the Bible calls prophecy. But these, she would have these, this sense of something and she would share it. And I remember the first time I heard her share, she started, she had this prophecy over the campus pastor and talking about what God wanted to do on the campus. And, um, and it was one of those things, and some of you will understand what I mean by this. When she spoke, I just knew it was true. I knew it was right. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes you just, it witnesses inside of your spirit, and you knew God, God was in this. She's talking to the campus pastor and his wife. God wants to do something, and God has called you uh, to, to lead. And I went home that summer, and I'm brand new at this Christianity following Jesus thing, and I didn't know what to pray about, so if God was speaking that through Dee Dee, I respect her, she hears from God, I'll pray about what God said to her. And so I started to pray about what she prophesied. And I started to pray, and as I did, it was like the heart of God that was behind that prophecy, God's heart for what he wanted to do on the campus, began to fill my heart in such a way that the next three years through the remainder of my undergraduate studies, my life was defined by what God wanted to do on that campus. He put his heart for what he wanted to do through his church on that campus into my heart. And I can remember two years later, whatever it was, uh, and like horrified of public speaking and all that kind of stuff, found myself on a trail that led to me standing in front of masses of students, leading this huge prayer uh, thing for the campus that became a, a significant moment, I think, for a lot of people on that, on that campus. And so what I'm saying is lean in, in your heart, to not just hear stuff about church. Even what I've said this afternoon, can we lean in and say, God, I want to pray over that. Let this be. Let this church become, and let me find my place in this church becoming a dwelling place for you. Let me discover who you have called me to be. Let me discover who you are. I want to find my place. I want to fulfill your call. I don't just hear it, but I receive it into my heart, and I mix it with my faith, and I believe, and I position myself before you, Jesus, to reveal yourself to me and through me, build your church through me. Can we respond in that kind of way? Even in, your, in the quietness of your own soul, I just encourage you right now just to the things that you feel God speaking. It would be rude if I said something to you or if you said something to me and I didn't even acknowledge what you said, just walked away. Let's not be rude to the Lord. If he's speaking right now, Let's acknowledge what he's saying with a big yes in our heart. As we, I'm just going to share something that I feel kind of impressed, but um, I, I really don't want to embarrass my, my friend here, Andrew. Um, but just I just feel as we're kind of in the sweet moment, this thing of that we speak of with revelation, I just I, I have a sense of God wanting to confirm in your heart that you actually have a that's that, that's a real important part in your life. That's a that's a that he, that uh, perhaps that's been something that has never really been occurred to you or been a reality um, to the degree that He has for you. But that uh, I just have a sense of like God wanting to say. Uh, that I know you, like I have called you. I I I am very aware of you, and and uh, and I want to communicate with you and invite you into a very special relationship with me that is unique 
and that is real and deep and strong. Uh, but I, I sense that God will want to reveal himself to you um, in powerful ways. And uh, I'm reminded of the scripture, Revelation chapter, th- uh, I think it's the end of chapter 2 or verse three, uh, chapter 3, uh, where Jesus is saying to a church, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and um, he who opens up the door, I'll come in and I'll dine with him and he with me. And um, I just have that sense of God kind of being at the door of, of your heart, Jesus. And uh, just, it's not like some complicated thing. It's actually just recognizing that he's at that door and saying, come on, come on in. I'm, I'm, you are who you are. You are Lord. And uh, God really bring. So is that okay? If I, can, I pray with you, pray for you. So Lord, I thank you. Thank you for Andrew. Thank you for that you knew him before he was even born. You knew him and you knew him by name. And Father, even as we gather together, I just pray by the power of your Holy Spirit uh, that you unveil, even as you did with Peter, the Apostle Peter, that you revealed to him things that no person could have shown him. Lord, I pray the same over Andrew, that he would be a man of revelation, a man who has seen spiritual truth, the man who has seen something in the depths of his heart that profoundly changes him and causes him to become a beacon of light to all who would shine around, uh, that, to shine to all that would be around him, God. Father, I pray uh, uh, even as in his own relationship with you that you teach him to your presence, to know your presence, to seek and to find your presence. Visit him, I pray. Visit him. I'm just reminded even uh, when when I was in college, just reminded of moments of particular times of having dreams that I knew weren't normal dreams. Like I woke up with a sense of the presence of God and my dreams were so vivid uh, and, and there were like spiritual messages in this dream. And it was like a supernatural experience. And I just feel, Andrew, that God even wants to do that in your life where, you, where he visits you, even in your dreams and in things like that where you, where you know this isn't just my feelings or emotions, like this is God. Visit him, I pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.